Well, hello everyone. Uh, it is with great honor to be with you here today. Uh, my name is Jay Song. I am a pastor at True North Church in Palo Alto. Uh, and I am married. My wife's name is Christina. We have three lovely kids, age eight, six, and one. Uh, so you can imagine how fun and interesting our home is right now during this shelter in place. Uh, I mean, we're having so much fun, right? And sometimes going crazy. Now, I met Pastor Sam about five years ago when me and my family first moved up from Southern California uh, when we felt called to plant a church in Palo Alto. Now, I didn't really know that many people. I didn't know uh, many people in ministry. So I started reaching out to random pastors and Pastor Sam was really kind enough to to reply back to me. Uh, he actually took the time to meet up with me in person. And uh, just from that time, I remember getting such wise advice and, and feeling so cared for both just as a person and as a pastor. And uh, you know, just I, I remember going away from that meeting just so encouraged and, and so full. Uh, and you know, just it was a, a wonderful experience. And, and just the things that he said and the advice that he gave was really helpful and instrumental uh, in my time, uh, in my journey uh, of planning a church here in the Bay Area. So, uh, you know, I have the utmost respect for Pastor Sam. I, I value his ministry at Wellspring. Uh, I, I value our friendship. And so it is with great honor that I can be here today with all of you at Wellspring to share with you the Word of God. Now, I know that uh, my personal preference is that we could be in pre- uh, meet in person without this virus. Uh, but because of the situation, it, it is um, that we're going to be doing this virtually. But I knew, uh, but I know and I and I and I have uh, complete confidence uh, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would all be blessed and encouraged today. Now, today I'm going to be going over one of my favorite stories in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, it is the story of Ruth. And uh, since we'll be jumping right in the middle uh, of this passage, I'm going to do a quick recap and a quick summary of what's happened from Ruth chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, Ruth, the book of Ruth begins uh, just really hitting the ground running. Uh, right away in the opening chapter, we find out that there is a great famine in the land of Bethlehem and Judah. Uh, so because of this, Naomi and her husband decide uh, to leave Bethlehem and go into the Gentile nation of Moab. So Naomi and her husband uh, Elimelech, they, they flee Bethlehem and they start their lives in, in a foreign land in Moab. And there they have two sons and their sons get married to Gentile women, Ruth and Orpah. Now, right after the introduction of this passage, uh, we kind of, everything just happens. Everything just falls into place. And it says that Naomi, uh, her husband dies, and then her two sons die. Now, Naomi, who had gone out of Bethlehem full with the full family, now is founding, is, finds herself in the country of Moab in a foreign land with no husband and no sons and two barren uh daughter-in-laws in Orpah and Ruth. So because of the hopelessness and the desperate situation that Naomi finds herself, she decides to go back to the, uh, to the country, or city of Bethlehem, to her hometown. On the way there, she stops, she looks at her two daughter-in-laws, and she says, go back to your own country. You guys are young enough, start over, get, get remarried, start a family. There is no rest, there is no peace, there is no hope if you stay with me. So Orpah, with tears in her eyes, she decides to go back to her country of Moab. But Ruth says, no, I'm going with you, Ruth, uh, Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. Your God will be my God. So 
despite Naomi's uh, advice, Ruth goes with her mother-in-law back to the land of Bethlehem. And then in chapter 2, we find that Ruth is uh, you know, a very um, a disciplined, wise, and responsible person. She decides to go and glean from the field so that she can provide food for both herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as she is gleaning in the field, she encounters a man by the name of Boaz, a rich landowner, a man of great uh, reputation, one who is righteous, one who is kind. And, and here, in this encounter, we now as readers see that perhaps there is hope. Perhaps there is a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel for both Ruth and Naomi as we find out that Boaz is a distant relative to Naomi. Now, back in the Jewish uh, culture, back in this day, they had this thing called a kinsman redeemer. Basically, if you find yourself as a widow, then a distant relative or a near relative, any male relative was required to become their kinsman redeemer, that he would take them in as his wife, uh, to, to treat them as part of the family. And Naomi, who thought that uh, this would not, was not possible, now she sees that by meeting Boaz, that there is hope for herself and for Ruth. And we find ourselves in chapter 3, as, as Naomi's plans and plotting starts to, to quicken, and as we get right into the meaty and juiciest part of this passage. So I'm going to read for us Ruth chapter 3, starting from verse 1 to the end of the passage. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have your Bibles, you guys can open it and, and follow along. We will be referring back to it uh, throughout the sermon, but uh, we will go over and read chapter uh, 3, verse 1 through 18. This is the reading of God's Word. It says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you see you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So when she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went uh, to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he... Uh, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he, will, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Verse 14. 
So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came out to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told him all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, as we have read chapter 3, I, I want to be able to get, give you a preview of the points I'll be going over. The three points I'll be going over today is this. Point 1 is that we're going to be talking about the rest that we seek. Point two, we're going to talk about the risk that we take. And point three, we're going to talk about the redemption made complete. So before we begin, please join with me in this word of prayer as we ask God to bless this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the fact that we can come together and gather, even though it's virtually, together as a church to worship you, to be fed by you, and to learn more about who you are and your grace in our lives. God, I ask that you would be able to really give us the heart to hear and the wisdom to understand your words here in chapter 3 of Ruth. And may we be blessed and encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the first point that I'll be talking about is the rest we seek. Now, um, before in chapter 1 and chapter 2, what we find is Naomi, she is really in a state of trauma and depression. Uh, she, she has really no hope in life. But in the beginning of chapter 3, what we see is a different Naomi. This Naomi comes to life. right? So in verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, the word rest is speaking uh, of a peace and tranquility that women in that time were looking for in the arms of a loving husband. See, we're talking about a time when women were considered second, third class citizens and their worth was determined by who they were married to. And because of the times that they were living in, uh, having a strong, able man to support and provide for them was absolutely imperative for a woman of that time to seek or to find peace and rest in in their lives. So now here Naomi states that fact that she should seek rest for Ruth. So there was this false sense of salvation and idolatry in, in Naomi. That she thought, as long as Ruth is able to find a kinsman redeemer, a a man who would remarry her and take care of her and then take care of Naomi, that everything will be okay. See, part of Naomi's trauma and depression was because she felt that there was no hope for Ruth. That she felt that there was no hope for Naomi. Right. I mean, Naomi, we find out she is advanced in age. There was no, she was not going to be able to get remarried. She was not going to be able to have uh, children uh, to provide for her. And for Ruth, she is a Gentile woman from Moab living in Bethlehem with her. Also, I mean, the fact that she is married without kids uh, speaks to her possible barrenness. So Naomi felt that there was absolutely no hope for Ruth as well. 
But now as Boaz enters into the story, as Boaz entered into the picture, she is brought back to life and the wheels in her head start turning because she is, finds uh, and devises a plan to get Ruth married to Boaz. Now, some would look at Naomi and, and think that she is, uh, you know, kind of like a, a weird character in the story, right? At first, she seems very distant, very cold. And now all of a sudden, she wants to, uh, uh, you know, get Ruth married to Boaz. And it can almost seem self-serving. But when you really look at it, Naomi, what she wants, what her intentions is, are good. Uh, she desires for Ruth to get remarried. She desires for Ruth to have a, a rest and peace and tranquility in her life. And that's what the word rest translates to, uh, peace and tranquility. In the same way, I believe that for some of us, some of the most energizing and revitalizing times in our lives is when we become passionate not to just seek our own rest, but when we become passionate to seek rest and to help others find peace. Our ability to get out of the pits of our own self-loathing and idleness is sometimes tied to our willingness to stand up and help others. Now, but what we see in Naomi, even though now she is uh, getting up and becoming more active, is that even with all the good intentions that she has, that she goes about it in the wrong way. Now, here's the thing. Naomi in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, uh, she's basically giving dating advice to Ruth, right? Uh, Naomi is basically trying to, to teach her how to snatch up Boaz. Um, and, and here's the thing, right? You know, when it comes to dating, there's, there's the friendship method, which is the best, me- best method. It's the least threatening. Uh, but it's also, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's the risk of being stuck in the friend zone. You can become too much of a friend, uh, there is the ninja method, right? Uh, this is the best method to, to save face. It, it's to go incognito. It's to make it seem like you don't really like the person. And, and, and then, you know, if th- things don't work out, then, hey, it's okay. No one ever knew, right? Um, there's the guns blazing method where you just kind of go in, you know, scorch earth. You just go in and, and, and suicide bomber mission it. Uh, and then there's the worst way, which is the creepy method, right? No one wants to do the creepy method. Uh, this is where you uh, uh, creep out the person that you're interested in, whether by being too like stalkerish or too clingy. And, and, and here's the thing. The advice that Naomi gives, if we kind of see it in our cultural perspective, uh, Naomi is telling Ruth to use the creepy method. She says, Boaz will be winnowing barley tonight. And when he falls asleep... To go, you know, and when he goes to protect his harvest, and when then when he falls asleep, go sneak into where he is, lay at his feet. And here's the thing: when you actually read uh, chapter three in the cultural lens of what um, these Jewish people understood it, uh, verse two through four is filled with very risque innuendos. This is not a, a, a rated G story that you find, uh, you know, on Disney+. Plus. This is a, a, a very adult story that we're reading. See, when it says in verse 3, to therefore wash and anoint yourself, this is a tradition and protocol that young women follow the night before the wedding to prepare themselves for the consummation of their wedding. 
So by Ruth or by Naomi telling Ruth to go wash and anoint yourself, what she's implying to Ruth is, hey, get ready to do the dirty deed with Boaz. Get ready to lay with him and, and, and you know, uh, sleep with him. Right. Uh, it's basically like in our context, it's, it's like showing up to your first coffee meets bagel date in your wedding dress. Right. Uh, and then when it says to uncover his feet and lie down, the author is speaking again in innuendo. See, the word feet is oftentimes code word for genitals uh, back in this time. So the phrase to go lie down, uh, uh, which is also a, a euphemism for sex, right? To go lie down and uncover his feet. What the reader automatically knows, if you're from this culture, is what Naomi is telling Ruth is, hey, go lie down, take off all his clothes, and be with him. So when you take it literally, it, uh, it, we read it as just lay down, um, you know, move the sheets from Boaz's feet, and then just you know, fall asleep by his feet. But when you read in between the lines, what Naomi is suggesting to Ruth is something absolutely risque. It should be rated R, maybe rated NC-17. But not only that, Naomi told her to go in after Boaz got drunk. Now, if you are an Israelite during this time, and if you are a good Jew, when you read about the people of Moab, you should automatically be transported to Genesis chapter 19, which is the beginning of the people of Moab. Now, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, we see the origin of the people of Moab, and this is what it says. Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, says, Now Lot went up, out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we will preserve offspring from our father." So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with his father, lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the daughter, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine also tonight. Then go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night and the younger arose and lay with him and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Now, if anyone tells you that the Bible is boring, they're not really reading the Bible. This is some crazy stuff, right? And then verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. So now when Ruth is told and instructed by Naomi to go and wait until Boaz has been drunk and until after he falls asleep, what the readers of, Israel, of, of Jewish times, what they understand right away is this. Here is Naomi telling Ruth to act like a Moabitess. Here is Naomi 
instructing Ruth to be who you are, a scandalous Moabitess woman, a woman who would take advantage of a drunk, passed out man to gain what you want. But what we see is this. Even though Naomi, even though her intention and her heart was in the right place, her desire to seek rest and peace and tranquility for her own daughter-in-law was through the wrong means. She tried to use human cunning and deception to accomplish rest and peace. And when we read a story like Ruth, we have the privilege of seeing things from the outside. And it's really easy to critique Naomi and her methods and her tactics. But when we really think about it, we are very similar to Naomi. And this is what I mean by this. Like Naomi, we rightly desire peace and tranquility for us and our offsprings. Uh, and, and, but, and like Naomi, we oftentimes go about it in the wrong way. Not according to God's way, but according to the way of this world, what the world has taught us, what the culture has, has instilled upon us. Now, one of the things that I've really been wrestling with during the shelter in place is my kids' schools. Uh, number one, because I want my kids out of here. Like, they're driving me insane sometimes, right? I mean, I got a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, a, a six-year-old, and an eight-year-old, and it's just like constant, blah, 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 you know, like, I, it's impossible to get any work done, right? And on top, but not, not only that, right? Uh, you know, I mean, and I kind of half-joke because other times is amazing, but not, on, not only that, but the very system that myself and perhaps many of you have been taught ever since you were a kid of finding peace, rest, and a good life has really been turned upside down. Now, what I mean by that is this. If you're from an immigrant family like myself, even if you're not from an immigrant family, the way to peace and rest has always been through education. We've always been taught that as long as you do well in school, as long as you study hard, as long as you get into a good college, as long as you major in something practical and you graduate and get a good job, then you will have a good life. right? And that's kind of the, the, the blueprint that we followed, right? Uh, we have kids of our own and we say we'll never be like our parents, but once our kids grow up, then we find tutors for them. We get them into extracurricular activities. We put them in sports, you know, and, and like the sports that are going to get them into Ivy Leagues, right? Like fencing or, or a crew, you know, or like lacrosse, you know, or field hockey. We, we get them into Kumon or SAT schools. We do everything that we can hoping that they will have a peaceful and restful life. But what the shelter in place has really done is it's really flipped that upside down. It's really pulled the rug out from underneath us and has shown us that all these things that we, you know, we did with the right intentions, but it wasn't really leading to true rest. It was leading to a false rest, a rest that can so easily go away with something as crazy as a global pandemic. And I really believe for us that true rest, that true peace is found not when we follow after the things of this world, not when we follow the blueprints of what this culture and what this world tells us, but when we follow after 
the ways of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads us to our second point. And so our second point is this, the risk that we take. Now, as the reader is getting excited to read about the juicy and scandalous events that are about to occur, uh, Ruth does something surprising and shocking by not completely following the instructions and advice of Naomi, but instead conducting herself in a righteous and godly way, despite knowing the, rejection, uh, the risk of rejection that was at hand. Now, after Boaz drank uh, a little too much wine, he falls asleep in the midst of his harvest. Just as Naomi had instructed her, uh, Ruth then goes and uncovers the feet of Boaz and lays at his feet. Now, just a little background, uh, you know, these landowners and these farmers, uh, after uh, their harvest, they would sleep with their harvest to protect it from robbers, and, and, uh, and, but also it would be a great celebration, it would be a great feast. And Boaz, you know, he, he got a little drunk, he fell asleep uh, protecting his barley, and that's when Ruth goes in, uncovers his feet, and lays at his feet. But unlike the innuendos mentioned before, that's all that Ruth does. Uh, Naomi was planning to minimize uh, the risk and maximize the outcome for she knew that Boaz was a man of honor so that she knew if Boaz had found himself in a compromising situation where he found himself consummating with Ruth that he would do the right thing and marry her. And that's what Naomi was trying to do. She was trying to force the issue. But instead, Ruth, who in chapter 3 is not referred to as a Moabitess anymore, Uh, decides that the risk and and the outcome of conducting herself in a godly way was worth it and right. So when Ruth does things according to God's way, it wasn't that she was acting at a moral superiority. It's not because she thought she was better than Naomi or better than the people around her. Rather, it was because she had faith and trust that God would be able to provide the ultimate rest in her life. And, and, and here's the thing, even though Ruth, or even though God is rarely mentioned, uh, uh, barely, barely mentioned throughout the book of Ruth, we see his presence and we see his activity it is clear and, and, and present. So not only does Ruth risk losing Boaz as her redeemer by not following Naomi's plan, but Boaz also risks his reputation by continuing to uh, engage with this Moabitess widow. Uh, and and he, he could have easily dismissed her. He could have taken advantage of her and sent her away, uh, which was many times things that people, the characters in the Bible did. Uh, he could have uh, just, just said, you know what, forget you. You're a Gentile. I have, I have nothing to do with you. His world would tell him he was right by doing such things. His culture, his, 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 his community would not have even batted an eye if he had treated Ruth poorly or severely. But instead, he risks his reputation as a good Jew by dealing kindly with this widow, a Gentile widow. He calls her his daughter. He promises that he will redeem her. He says that he will, not only that, but again, he, he follows after God's way. He says, you know what, there is a redeemer that's actually nearer than I. There's another relative who's actually closer to you than me. Let me check with him. I want to make sure that he is not going to redeem you. If he does redeem you, good. 
If he doesn't, then I will redeem you. And he tells her, remain here tonight. Right? Don't, don't go off in the middle of the night. Remain here tonight. Um, and, and, and when you are done, uh, when we wake up, then you can go back and we will wait to see how this all plays out. See, for both Ruth and Boaz, doing things God's way was not about seeking a moral high ground. But it was really their expression of their trust and faith that when you do things according to God's way, that we would have that they have uh, no no doubt that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. See, I think oftentimes in, in our culture, in this world where where everything is fast paced, uh, uh, we are so desperate for good results that we are willing to take shortcuts, uh, that we are willing to. Uh, uh, compromise on our beliefs in order to get what we want. And we only want to trust in our abilities and our own efforts instead of trusting in the presence and power of a God that we cannot see and feel. I mean, think about it. If I was in Ruth's position, uh, there is one thing that I I can see and one thing that is tangible, and that's for me to follow Naomi's plan to kind of trap Boaz into marrying me and therefore having the rest and tranquil and peace uh, that this world would have to offer. But instead, she trusts in the presence of someone she could not see. And someone, in many ways, people would say, God has left you. Think about all the calamity that has entered into your life. But instead, she has the patience the faith, and the righteousness to follow after a way that may seem like, even though God seems absent, she follows after God's way. See, God's way is not being fixated so much on the result, not being fixated so much on the reward, not being fixated so much on the blessing itself, but instead realizing that the journey and path is what elevates and grows our faith to trust the goodness of the sovereignty of God. See, the risk of doing things God's way means that we will be hated by this world. Um, Ruth took a calculated risk. Uh, Her risk is that by not listening to Naomi's plan, she risked disappointing her mother-in-law. Failure to secure Boaz as her kinsman redeemer meant that both she and Naomi would be without hope, would be without uh, someone to protect them. She knew that she was risking being hated by the only person that she knew in this foreign land, Naomi. Boaz also risked ridicule and disdain from his community by accepting this Moabitess woman into his life Uh, the Jewish community could have easily outcasted him. But instead, both forgo the risk of what people will and might think of them, and they follow the order of keeping God's word and his laws. Ruth follows God's way by keeping herself chaste and pure, but not doing what was expected of a Moabitess woman. Boaz Uh, follows God's law by becoming Ruth's kinsman redeemer. But he also doesn't, uh, he also isn't hasty about it. He knows that there's someone else ahead of him in line. So he says, I'm going to go check with him first. And what that means for us as Christians is this. 
When we follow God's way and when we desire to live our lives according to the laws and word of God, it means that we will risk being hated by both sides or, or every side of this world. I mean, Jesus was very clear. If, if, if the world hates me, then he, they will also hate you. And I think and this is especially pertinent in our time where things are so divisive and things are so polarizing. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think that we have to pick a side. But the reality is, is that the gospel ethics and the word of God is neither uh, conservative nor liberal. It's neither red nor blue. If we really follow after God's way, then both sides will disdain us. Both sides will ridicule us. Both sides will mock us. And I think a lot of times we are trying so hard to pick a side and to see which side we want to align ourselves with instead of saying we will align ourselves with God and Jesus and the gospel. The reality is, as a Christian, we are neither Democrat, we are neither Republican, we are neither conservative, we are neither liberal. We follow after God's ways. God's way is oftentimes the most unpopular. It's the most uh, looked down upon. And the risk that we take is that even when we travel along that path, that we will be hated by all peoples. But our acceptance is found and guaranteed in God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that brings us our third and final point. Third and final point is the redemption made complete. And what we see is the beginning of the redemption of Ruth through Boaz, which points to the ultimate redemption through Jesus Christ. See, not like the love stories that we are used to, what we see here in Ruth is something very different. Right? Boaz sends her away with six measures of barley, which is equivalent to 80 pounds of weight. See, a lot of times when I picture this, uh, this story of Ruth, I always imagine it being played in the movie theater, and I would imagine Boaz being played by like, a strong, handsome man, you know, uh, someone like um, George Clooney or, or The Rock or Jason Momoa or, or John Cho, and, and, and Ruth being played by an attractive leading Hollywood actress uh, like Kate Winslet or Halle Berry or Natalie Portman or Lucy Liu. And just a little shout out to myself for that very inclusive list that I gave out there right now. Uh, and here's the thing, because we are taught at a very young age, and it's also very innate in us, uh, to judge things at a surface level. So a lot of times these main characters that we read about in the stories here in the Bible, we always imagine them to be very attractive and well put together people. But when we read this story and when we really look into the details of what's going on, it's quite the opposite. See, in verse 10, uh, Boaz says, You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men. See, Boaz is, is older. And, and I'm not talking about like attractive older George Clooney. He's probably like really old, like a geezer, you know, like, like a grandpa, like, like Jack Nicholas now or, or, or all the people in that new mobster movie, uh, uh, you know, with Robert De Niro and, 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 you know, Joe Pesci and all those guys. I forget what the movie was called. But he was really old. The type of old man that women do not want to be with. Why? Because they are close to death. 
They don't have uh, functioning physical capabilities. And, and now before you think, great, uh, another story of, of a, a rich, crusty old man who gets a young, attractive, beautiful woman. Um, the reality is, is Ruth probably does not fit the mold of a young, attractive, beautiful woman. I mean, think about it. Uh, in chapter 2, she had the capability and the strength and the ability to work out in the sun all day, all, uh, you know, gleaning from the fields. Now, not to say that if you're able to do that, you're unattractive, but if you do that day in and day out, then you get beaten by the sun uh, and you get tired out, right? She probably wasn't someone who was able to take care of herself. Uh, not only that, but in chapter 3, when Boaz sends her away with six measures of barley, 80 pounds, as I mentioned before, she is the type of woman who can carry 80 pounds of barley early in the morning and take it all the way back to her home. What that tells me is that she's probably built more like a linebacker than a cheerleader. And, and the, uh, the idea of beauty would be very different from what we think about today. See, the reality is, is this. When Boaz gives Naomi, uh, Ruth six measures of barley, uh, it, it is uh, a very, with precise and specific reason that the author mentions this. Because the number six is a number of incompleteness. Right? Because in, in Jewish culture, the number seven is a number of wholeness, completeness. So by saying that Boaz gave six measures of barley to Ruth, what it is signifying is that there is something incomplete, something not yet done that needs to be made complete. And the fact that Boaz gave Ruth barley, seed to her, again, brings our attention back to the fact that Ruth was still without child. That even though she had been married previously, that she was never able to bore a child. And now back in those days, like the moment you got married, then you, you, know, you try to have kids right away. It's not like, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's wait a few years, let's work on ourselves, let's travel. It's not like that. Back in those days, you get married, the first thing you got to do is bear, bear a kid. So the fact that Ruth was still without child, uh, even when her husband was alive, spoke to her barrenness. So six measures of barley seed given to Ruth, the author was highlighting the incompleteness, her barrenness of this redemption story. See, and what we find is that even though Physically and humanly and earthly speaking, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth. The author was pointing to the fact that there is nothing here on earth that can truly and wholly redeem us in the way that we need. And then at the end of chapter 4, now we get a glimpse and a foreshadowing of what this story was about. What Ruth's complete redemption, what our complete redemption looks like. So in Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, it says this, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. 
Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. See, this story now points to King David. Here is Ruth, a barren widow Moabitess, who then marries Boaz, who has a son named Obed, who then becomes the father of Jesse, who is then the father of David. And if you know the story of the Bible, it is through the line of King David that we have the complete and ultimate seed the seed that was prophesied way back in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, which is Jesus Christ. See, through all the earthly conniving, through all the earthly motivations of seeking rest and peace in this earthly life, it, was, it will always be incomplete. But the most complete redemption, the only redemption that we can have is from the seed of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world who comes to become our ultimate kinsman redeemer. We, the unfaithful, we, the barren, we, the widow, the ones without hope who are desperate for rest and peace are redeemed by a righteous, good, kind Savior in Jesus Christ. And may that complete redemption be the hope that we cling to in these desperate and trying times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we did not deserve it, you send Jesus to be our Redeemer. Even though we did not deserve it or earn it, God, you redeem us from our sins and you make us and you call us your children. So may that hope be the thing that we cling to. May that hope be the thing that energizes us. And may that hope and rest and peace that is sure in Jesus be what exudes from us to the people around us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.